Welcome to the Breathing Deeply Yoga Therapy and Meditation Podcast. In this episode, we answer our students' questions and share information about yoga therapy and meditation with the intention of creating a new paradigm in wellness. Today's episode is a recording taken directly from a live Q&A session with Breathing Deeply founder Brant Pasalakwa and students of our Yoga Therapy Foundations program. Our first question is, why don't we use the five prana values much in yoga therapy? Well, there's so many meditations and that's more of, um, there's lots of ways to do the pranic body and that's a an interesting one and it gets you familiar with the movement of the values and the and uh, prana in that way, but I wouldn't say it's easy for most people. So I don't, I don't teach it to people therapeutically, usually, unless they're sensitive or trained in some way, they might have a use to like restore pranic order. But for someone kind of off the street, that's gonna be really difficult. Mm-hmm. especially the exhale with the two directions that's going to be very complicated um it wouldn't be my go-to like the first thing i would try is just spine breath to see if you can get those diaphragms moving in the mind there it's a more subtle practice you know so sometimes you get people that come to you who are like meditation or yoga people um where you have a lot more options um so, you know, most of the course is not focused on that. Um, I almost regret putting it in there because I get so many, it's like the beginning of a conversation. But at the time, I, I just kind of wanted to, I, I thought it would, I'd be remiss if, if you didn't understand that prana had directions and there's like different ways to look at it in your own body. So that was one way to kind of get in touch with that practice wise. Um, so if you put it in the category of, of like sort of pranic reordering or reestablishing, you know, some sort of proper order, that'd probably be a good category. So it's the same category as prana nidra or spine breath. They just, they do it all a little differently. Mm-hmm. And that one is much more subtle. So you can get really good results with that. So you can, totally can use it, but you just want to make sure that you're, your client is already in that direction. Uh-huh. You know, if you just teach it to somebody, you know, who's never really meditated or done pranayama, it's probably not going to land the way you want it to. Some people are more pranically sensitive just from the get-go. Uh-huh. So the, there's certain kinds of people where that will really be interesting to them. Yeah. I would say it's probably less than 10% though. Can I use my breath to ease hyper-awareness during my practice? Breath is like a, the breath is a prep practice. The, prep is a, the breath is a preparatory practice. It's not where you're going. So, you know, it, it might be that you shouldn't be doing it at all because you're already there. And so it's very easy for pranayama to, to unbalance you. So, I mean, the two answers to that would be you're doing the wrong pranayama or maybe 
you should just be meditating, mm -hmm. especially if you're already sort of like sensitive like that, you're already there. Most people need med like pranayama. I mean, there's a variety of uses for it, but like most people need it to kind of even get in the game meditation-wise. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, know, you need something to, to settle your mind, you know, or give it a little more um, juice because you're, you're mm -hmm. um, tamasic, you know, you're dull. Um, but if, if you're already there and you can settle, I mean, you got to remember that like a lot of, a lot of spiritual practices don't have any pranayama, like tons of traditions don't have any pranayama. So it's like this interesting place between like a health practice and a mental shifting sort of meditational practice, pranic practice, right? It uh -huh. does a lot of things yeah. at once, but not all those things might be what you want to be doing. So if you're doing pranayamas and they're ungrounding you, then they're definitely not what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> the only other way to look at it is also in yoga, right? We have pranayama and it's for health. So that's on that level. And if you're just looking at your general health, like slowing down your breath is extremely beneficial. That's really the health benefit. So if you just like, you know, people who are able to take less breath per minute live longer. How can I use yoga therapy techniques to lower my blood pressure? Well, I mean, one other way, you know, some people have high blood pressure because of, because of nervous system response, but a lot of people don't. So that's why there's such varied results with the blood pressure. Like if you can really slow down your breath, I mean, the, the pranayama thing for high blood pressure is basically kumbhakas, like really long exhales, you know, and holding the breath out for longer and longer periods of time, um, yeah. which, will do a, which will do a lot of things. Um, but the big thing, one of the big things is that it'll change the amount of NO in your system, which is what dilates your, your uh, blood vessels. So, and if you do it long, I mean, if you work on it long enough, you create a permanent change with um, your sort of breath rate per minute. So that, that can help. I, you know, I, what I've seen work, I've seen lots of different things work, but what I've seen work best is actually first thing in the morning. Um, and I think the Buteco people do that too, where they, they, you train yourself, you get up in the morning and you do this practice um, where you really extend those exhales and extend your kumbhakas. And I think there's something about it that change, I mean, I don't know what the science is, but in that particular thing, but I do know that it kind of changes your brain. So your brain kind of resets to like what, what normal mm -hmm. is. So I, I would do it right when you wake up. Cause it's not so much about doing the pranayama it's about training your system to be more efficient with, with oxygen intake in that way. It's actually not oxygen, it's, it's actually about the exhale, but um, mm -hmm. you, you can do it. You know, so there's people that can really, but it's hard to know whether that's gonna change your blood pressure. That's what I wanna say. Just like the food, the only way to know, if you were me, you know, you have, you have a few factors. Um, you can lose weight if you have any to lose. <laughs> um, you can not eat animal protein. You can try exercise. I mean, the studies are clear that you your blood pressure goes down, but it's like not that much. But from what I've seen, 
um, high intensity exercise is way better. So it's also easier to get hurt during higher intensity exercise. <laughs> so you could uh, sort of, but it takes less time, you know? So anything that gets your heart rate like way up to like 90% or higher, um, even uh -huh. briefly, it can be useful. Um, you have the slowing down of your breath. Um, and then you have nervous system stuff beyond that. And if none of, so, so I guess my point is, if you're really thinking about your blood pressure, what I would do, I've done this. I've had high blood pressure, blood pressure forever, and now I don't. Um, and I eat meat, uh, not a lot, but I eat it. Um, fish, like occasionally, um, and eggs. I guess that uh -huh. counts. Um, <laughs> I was like, I had some eggs today. <laughs> but what I did is first, I did, I did everything first. But like, first, you have to see like which thing is the most kind of important to your body. So if you're gonna do the vegan experiment, I would like be completely vegan for 60 days. And if your blood pressure is exactly the same, never think about it again. Cause it's, you know what I mean? Like you're not, that's not the no. issue. So then you know, it's, it's kind of good to know instead of like doing a dance around it forever. But I, I prefer that. Um, and then it's like, you go on a pranayama you know, exploration and for 90 days you slow down your breath and by then something will have happened and is your blood pressure the same you know yeah et cetera et cetera some people exercise and their blood pressure goes way down but when they do studies it's like not it doesn't look that good so it's kind of interesting um in my mind though just to say one more thing just because you're talking about yourself you want your cardiovascular system to be in really good shape like the combination of having high blood pressure and not being in good shape is not good. Mm -hmm. Right, you want everything functioning well because you have one strike against you. So health-wise, you know, doesn't mean you have to go crazy, but you, you just, you know, you want your heart to be in good shape, right? What are some tips for learning how to muscle test? Yeah, I mean, one of the things when you're learning the muscle testing, that's like, I think probably the most important thing maybe is at some point just get rid of the manual and think to yourself, what is it that I want to know? Mm -hmm. And how am I going to find that out? Mm -hmm. You know, and then the things will come to you. It's like, well, I want to know, you know, about external rotation, you know, and how do I do that in the shoulder? Because it forces you to puzzle it out. Mm -hmm. and then you know you know it like and the concepts because that's part of it it's just learning those concepts because I think so much about what I'm trying to do it's like I, when I go to teach it I actually look at the manual because I was like oh I don't know that I do it that way anymore but it doesn't really matter you know it's it's knowing the the sort of concepts of what muscles am I testing mm -hmm. how do I get somebody into that action right because you always want to put somebody into the action stuff like that um, so if you think, if you think a little bit about that, like why you're practicing, it'll help your brain for sure. What you're doing, you know what I mean? Like, okay, I'm externally rotating because I want to mm -hmm. test it, the external rotators and I want to be into the motion mm -hmm. to test muscle strength. Right. So I don't want to do it here. That's why I'm putting their arm here or whatever, you know, you start to like kind of puzzle it in mm -hmm. your mind like that. 
Yeah. Um, and then it comes really fast once you've got all those kind of, once you know why and the sort of mechanics of it, then it's like you need the pictures less and less because because yeah. it's starting to make sense on like a deeper level to you. When we teach it live, it's great because like, you know, we got a room full of people and you're just practicing it. And there's me and an assistant walking around helping you. And it's like, it's really good to take that retreat live. I mean, COVID happened, so this is what we're doing. But um, we used to get, we used to not even offer it online. And then when we offered it online, we would get like most people in the foundations would come for a weekend to just kind of do the physical stuff, you know? It's just way easier to learn that way. But, you know, if you've got it at all, you've done well. <laughs> what are some tips for doing muscle testing virtually? Yeah, well, I mean, the question is, if you have limited shoulder flexion, I mean, there's a couple things. Like, if they're like, ow, I can barely move my arm, then, you know, maybe it's something like mechanical, like a torn muscle or uh, impingement of some sort. But barring that, you know, that's what, every PT does, I mean, you go in, you say, oh, I can't like lift my arm up. They're like, well, we're gonna strengthen your shoulder flexion muscles and see if that helps the scenario. I mean, that's kind of like all that us and PTs do in a way, <laughs> you know, with bodies in that way. So when you see, yeah, when you see limited range of motion, you think, well, I should strengthen the muscles that go in that direction and see if things change. You know, it's a, it's a likely possibility. Okay. Right? So if you can't turn your head to the right, you want to strengthen the muscles that turn your head to the right. <laughs> like, it's the only way it's going to get there. Why do we focus more on strengthening over stretching in yoga therapy? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, well, there's two reasons for that. Like one, nothing's going to stay unless the muscles are strong enough. But two... Whenever you're strengthening something, you're stretching the antagonist part, right? So yeah. you're doing both at the same time. Mm-hmm. So the reason I kind of lean into that so much is because yoga teachers have a tendency to really like stretching. Mm-hmm. I have been thinking about this so long and have experimented this with so much. I will say that I'm not even sure stretching is necessary for humans. I don't. I, I'm at the point now thinking about it where I'm thinking now. The, the issue is, is that people don't move enough. So if you move enough in a lot of different ways, you tend, and this isn't always true, but um, you tend to stay in more balance and stretching is less necessary. So it's just something to think about. The reason your like fascial shape is is condensed in a certain way is because you're you're usually is because you're either doing the same activity over and over or you're just kind of sitting or lying around, you know, <laughs> um, you know. And then there's tons of exceptions like athletes are an exception because they tend to do the same things over and over again. But I'm not even just talking about exercise; I'm talking about moving, you know. So. If you look at people who do kind of like, I mean, there's not so many people do this, but like natural movement stuff. I don't know if you've seen them where they like sort of run around on rocks and swing from trees and <laughs> you know, they like do whatever. It's like, they're really fit in a really interesting way. They have less problems, you know? 
They're not overdeveloped in any way. You know, they don't really need to stretch. Um, it's interesting. I mean, our modern lifestyle is so intense. It's like we are completely unevolved for it. So we're kind of supposed to be lightly moving around all the time. So I've been doing a lot of um, kettlebelling the last like four or five years, which is basically moving around with light weights, right? Like 15 to 40 pounds, like not heavy weight lifting. Um, I've been really, I, I started getting fascinated with it because I started using like weights with my clients like before that, because I wasn't getting enough body weight, out of body weight for them trying to get everything together. But when you, when you do certain kinds of like common kettlebell exercises, not all of them, but they engage so many muscles, you know, and they take you through so many ranges of motion while you're doing them, that I started to notice that, you know, in my own body, which is what I suspected, uh, I started feeling way better, you know, and I did tons of asana and I lifted weights and, you know, I do lots of things with my body, but sort of like kettlebelling in a way mimics like sort of natural movement, kind of, you know what I mean? Like if you were just like in the woods and you're like, I'm going to pick up that rock and that rock is 15 pounds, you know what I mean? It's like, you're not, nobody like naturally picks up 240 pounds on their back, you know, like, like people do who weight lift and stuff like that. So it's like kind of an interesting thing. Um, anyway, for a lot of people, they find that when they do those kinds of exercises, um, they don't get limited range of motion or stiff or whatever, if they do them correctly. So it's just, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing, you know, as opposed to like, well, as opposed to a lot of things like running, you know? where like maybe sprinting is a natural thing, but I'm not sure long distance running on a pavement with sneakers has anything to do with what we're evolved for. You know, and you just, you kind of have to stretch if you do that. Because you're doing something your body's like not really designed to do. So when you, when you bring that all back to yoga and asana, you know, um, those practices, if you're just thinking about them physically, can look a lot of different ways. So you have asana to correct problems, which is what we talk about a lot. But then you, just for general well-being, you know, moving in and out of positions in a very controlled way is super good for your body. So, you know, doing not very sort of stretchy, big poses, but more moving in and out of different shapes um, can have like a pretty profound effect on people's like sort of fascial net and their uh, muscle endurance and like stability of joints, you know, without needing to do like massive amounts of stretching. So where this is all taking me personally, which might be interesting to hear after you hear all that, is that like I don't do long yoga stretches anymore. I don't do Baddha Konasana. Like I don't do it because my hips don't hurt at all ever. You know, and they used to. And I've done a lot of, you know, like I always thought I had to, you know, stretch my adductors, you know, it's like, but like really there's no point if you're doing tons of like sort of 
semi-weighted ballistic full body movements. Like that's all happening in them. Thanks for listening to the Breathing Deeply Yoga Therapy and Meditation podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, leaving a positive review and sharing it with friends. For more information about our yoga therapy and meditation trainings and programs, visit breathingdeeply.com.